This is Susan Marie, and welcome to The Human Condition. This is the last episode I will do regarding my experience with COVID-19. Over a month ago, I was diagnosed with moderate COVID, and if you go back to episodes 33 and 34, please listen to them. They're short. They have a lot of tips and tricks. There are links to information from movement to breathing exercises to my experience, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. This virus is novel. It is new. If you're sitting there wondering if you have had it, or you haven't now, the one thing I will tell you is the human immune system has never experienced these symptoms before. So when you think of shortness of breath, when you think of fever, when you think of body aches and pains, they're different, okay? They're new, novel. It's not anything you can associate to the flu or pneumonia or bronchitis because our immune systems don't know what these symptoms are. So if you're wondering, the first thing I will tell you is that when you experience these symptoms, you don't recognize them. I have experienced a lot of different serious conditions. Never have I felt these particular symptoms. Again, if you're wondering if you have had it and you possibly got over it or you have it now, you don't know what you're experiencing. You will sit there and go like, what is this? You don't recognize it. It's different. It's new. Where I left off, I believe, is day 10 is when it started to affect me mentally and emotionally. Our bodies are not used to dealing every day, all day long, battling symptoms, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Day 10 to day 18, the symptoms continued on and off. And the thing about this virus is it comes in waves and it will trick you. You cannot trust this virus. Now, thankfully, mine stayed moderate, but that was 24-7 vigilance keeping on top of this virus. And that includes yoga, meditation, mindfulness, light exercise, using a humidifier, all kinds of holistic things, increasing water intake to like 70 ounces of water per day, getting sleep when you can, eating when you can, trying to stay as healthy as you can. In the middle of that, you're completely exhausted. Exhaustion that is inexplainable. And again, go back to episodes 33 and 34 to find out how those symptoms appear. Day 10 to day 18 is when the mental exhaustion, mental and emotional exhaustion started to sit in because you're tired. You're thinking, oh my gosh, is this going to get worse? Is it going to get better? You don't know. You have to just keep going. One thing I will say about this virus is it is teaching us the ultimate loss of control. That is not easy for anyone, especially humankind, to just let go and let things be. It's extremely difficult to do that. But that's what this virus is teaching us. We don't have control of how it's gonna react in our body or how it's going to affect us. And one thing about this virus is there's no model because it affects every single one of us differently. So even my experience, some of it may be your experience. Hopefully it's no one's experience. It may be more severe, it may be mild. You don't know because we are all different. However, I am providing this information because a lot of these things are helpful. So again, go back to 33 and 34, look at the links, listen to those, please share them. I'm going to share new information since then that I found. First, I'm going to go off my complete symptoms from day one to day 18, and that even lasted to day 20, and then even one full month did it take till I was like, okay, I feel like me again. Some of the symptoms do still appear, but it's not contagious. I got tested and it was negative, thank God. I would tell anyone to be prepared for a good month to fight this thing. My complete symptoms from day one to day 18 were low-grade fever, hot burning face with or without fever, shortness of breath, 
excruciating rib pain, muscle pain, joint and bone pain that was excruciating, mental confusion, anxiety, brain fog, lack of focus, random body rashes, heart palpitations, sore throat, extreme head, neck, ear and eye pain, GI upset, GERD, absolute exhaustion, extremely dry skin, even though I was drinking 70 ounces of water per day, all of these symptoms were on and off, random. They went from mild to extreme, 20 days total before feeling like myself to get off of quarantine. I still don't feel right. I'm exhausted from fighting the symptoms and virus. I lost an entire waist size and it takes longer for my body to utilize oxygen for my muscles, but then it will calibrate normally. That's one thing you have to remember that you must recalibrate after this, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And I was very lucky. I do suggest getting tested wearing a mask, using gloves, but you must utilize a septic technique if using gloves and wash your hands. Wash everything you bring into your home. Soap is still the best defense. Do not just rely on antibacterial cleanser. There's a couple things that have happened since episode 33 and episode 34, more than a month ago. A lot of new information that is coming out that is helpful for those wondering about COVID. And all of this research I have linked in the data section of the show. Number one is cytokine storms. Those are known to happen in autoimmune diseases, and they also occur during certain kinds of cancer treatment and can be triggered by infections like the flu. But one study of patients that died from H1N1 found that 81% had features of this storm. Dr. Kumar virologist and immunologist at Georgia State University in Atlanta observed that the virus copies itself very quickly once it infects a cell and the cell begins to send SOS signals. When any cell senses that there's something foreign, the immediate response of the cell is to kill itself. It's a protective mechanism so it doesn't spread to other cells and certain kinds of cytokine triggers cell death. So when you have many cells doing this at the same time, a lot of the tissue can die. In COVID-19, that tissue is mostly in the lung. So as the tissue breaks down, the walls of the lung's tiny air sacs, the alveoli, become leaky and filled with fluid, causing pneumonia and starving the blood of oxygen. Basically, most of your cells will die because of the storm. It eats away at the lung. They cannot recover. It seems to play a role in death in a large number of cases. When the lung becomes greatly damaged, respiratory distress syndrome follows. Then other organs start to fail. This accounts for the severe respiratory aspect of COVID. Secondly is blood clotting. Signs of blood thickening and clotting were being detected in different organs by doctors from different specialties. This would turn out to be one of the alarming ways the virus ravages the body. And at Mount Sinai, nephrologists noticed kidney dialysis catheters getting plugged with clots. Pulmonologists monitoring COVID-19 patients on mechanical ventilators could see portions of lungs were oddly bloodless. Neurosurgeons confronted a surge in their usual caseload of strokes due to blood clots, and it was striking how much the disease causes clots to form. Dr. Mako, a Mount Sinai neurosurgeon, describing how some doctors think COVID-19, the illness caused by the coronavirus, is more than a lung disease. In some cases, Mako said a stroke was a young person's first symptom of COVID-19. This accounts for strokes and heart attacks related to COVID-19. In addition to the respiratory distress, there's blood thickening and clotting. So that's why people with heart issues, people with kidney issues, that's why they are also more susceptible. In addition to someone with already present lung issues. The other 
aspect is effects on the brain. Doctors at Henry Ford ordered CT and MRI scans. The images showed a brain aflame, the folds swelling against the patient's skull. On the computer screen, white lesions dotted the gray cross-section landscape, each one filled with dead and dying neurons in regions that normally relay sensory signals, regulate alertness, and access memories. On the screen, they appeared white, but in the electrical grid of the patient's brain, those areas had gone dark. That is why you experience mental confusion and these excruciating, pounding headaches and ear pain and eye pain. It's related to that, the effects that the virus has on the brain. And that is also why there have been cases of encephalitis and meningitis related to COVID-19. So that is why when you have a, a mild to moderate case, you experience all kinds of different aspects of these like shortness of breath and rib pain and heart palpitations and crushing headache because this is what this virus does to our body. So to help you understand why it affects someone differently that has some sort of lung disease or heart disease or kidney disease or, or they already have a suppressed immune system or just due to age, this is why. This virus affects all of us differently. Age is not the only factor here, just as an immune system is not the only factor. Take me for example. I'm in my later 40s. I'm a heavy smoker. I have been smoking since my early teens. I have mitral valve prolapse. Somehow, with angels watching over me, I made it through this. But I was vigilant. I didn't smoke. I really took care of myself. I did breathing exercises five times a day. I did yoga, body movement, which is important. You don't want that to settle into your lungs. I ate healthy food during. I kept my body moving even though I was exhausted. I forced myself to sleep. It was a 24-7 thing keeping watch on this evil virus that tricks your mind that makes you feel like you're crazy, but you're not. Thankfully, this never involved 9-11 or the hospital. There were several times where I thought, hmm, I should probably be calling 9-1-1, but the symptom went away. It is why I reiterate that it is important to know yourself, to know your body, to sit there and stop and feel that symptom and say, okay, what is this? And try to place it. Where is it coming from? What does this mean? Can I really breathe? Can I really move? Is this serious? Is it just a symptom? You have to go through these things like all day. Obviously, if you are having true shortness of breath, which is gasping for air, yes, call 911. If you're having extreme chest pain or your fever's like 103 or you have mental confusion and you can't be roused, you're not getting enough oxygen. So yes, call 911. But what this virus does is it presents those kinds of symptoms but they're not life-threatening. And that is what makes you feel that you're going insane, but you're not. To be mindful, to be embodied, and to be ready because this thing can turn on a dime. You don't know. And that's what makes it frightening. But I'm here to tell you that I made it through by being vigilant, by studying it, by understanding rational, raw, scientific data, by looking at stories of other people, stories like this one and why I'm sharing it with you so you can understand because these are the most important stories, ours, the ones that we tell. Now, in addition to that, there's a couple things that I see are confusing and that's COVID testing, antibody testing, and blood donation. So those are three different things, okay? So when you go for COVID testing, that's to test if the virus is present in your system, okay, which I did go for. When you go for COVID testing at that particular time, when that sample is taken and it comes back negative, 
All that means is that there is not enough of that virus present in that sample, which is good. It means either you never had the virus or you fought the virus off successfully, that it is no longer in your system. You created antibodies to that virus. Now, the antibody testing is not a COVID test. The antibody testing is random sampling, and that's more like scientific research study, okay, to show in this region, this many people, in that region, this many people. And that testing also goes mild, moderate, severe. For example, someone that may be an essential worker and they were exposed, it would show a mild increase in antibodies, where someone like me, who I had COVID, would show a moderate to severe. And obviously, someone who was really ill, say someone who was admitted into the hospital, they'd have a severe response of antibodies. That's what the antibody testing tells you. It doesn't say that you actually had COVID. It's kind of like when we go for TB testing or say something like Lyme disease, right? Which in the past, I have tested positive for both of those things, but I never had TB. I never had Lyme disease. It literally stated that my body produced antibodies to these things because I was exposed to those things, but I don't have either one of those. So the antibody testing is not a COVID test that's separate. Now, the blood donation, that is something completely different as well. That is for people that have recovered from COVID and have produced antibodies to the virus, and then you donate your blood, which I already have gone through that with the Red Cross. You fill out a form, and then they get back to you, and then you can donate your blood so they can study the antibodies, either for some sort of treatment. We don't know yet. So that's what those three things are. They're three completely different things. The other thing I want to discuss is immunity, which is not guaranteed. If you get a negative test, that's not a license to say, hey, I'm good, I'm, I'm free and clear. Because when you look at COVID, the two to 14 day window, that's a large window for infection. And anywhere from three to five days for symptoms to appear. So let's say one week ago, I had a negative COVID test. That's one week. Who have I been around? Where have I gone? What have I come into contact with? If I had put myself around a whole bunch of people and gone out in public and touched all of these things and not used any precautions, I can become reinfected. Just because your test was negative is not a license to not take precautions. You still have to live the way you were. I still wear a mask. I use gloves. I clean everything that comes into my home. I do not engage with people that do not live inside of my household that I've already been around. One other important factor I would like to include that you can successfully isolate when two of you live together. We were able to do that because my son is here and he's 20 and I was very concerned that I would give him the virus. We were smart. We didn't use any of the same products, constant washing of everything, cleaning all of the dishes, separate areas in the bathroom. We only have one bathroom, one kitchen. He stayed in his room a lot. I had my space, you know, in the house. He tested negative. Thank God. You are able to do that. You have to be smart. Very simple things. Don't cough into the air. Wash your hands. Anything that you touch, wash it right after you touch it. Don't use the same things. After this experience, which I don't wish on anyone, because I make it sound like it was simple, but it wasn't. It was one of the most horrific things I've experienced in 20 plus years. It puts you through such a sawmill that you don't know which way is up, but you just have to keep going. However, during and after, it brings you to this stage of enlightenment. And this is what I believe the purpose 
of this virus is, is to level us all up, okay? To fix what is broken. Like any kind of enlightenment, the largest existential awakening you can imagine. For myself, then that caused me to question, who do I have around me? Is it positive? Is it negative? Do I love my job? Where am I going in my career? What is my purpose on this earth? Where did I come from? Where do I belong? Where am I going? This is what this virus did for me. So am I going to complain about nonsensical things? No. Am I going to keep myself focused on something that I can't control or something that isn't even mine to focus on? Absolutely not. This is what this virus taught me. So you want to talk about being focused and redirected? This is what this virus has done for me. My hope is this is what this virus does for the world, for humankind. If you look in the data section of the show, I included a lot of really important videos. For those of you out there that still think this is a hoax, this is fake, it's not real, I'm so healthy, it can't affect me, I'm omniscient, I'm special because I exercise and I eat correctly and I'm healthy that I can't become infected. That's nonsense. Throw it out of your mind because you are indeed a human being and this affects human beings, okay? Also, for those judging people who don't have the most perfect lifestyle or someone who is ill or someone who is sick, or they're older, or they're younger, we need to stop. That's what this virus is about, okay? No one's perfect. We're humans. We're not supposed to be. Look at the links that are in the data section of the show, and I want you to watch the video on micro droplets suspending into air. That was a study done. It's devastating when you watch what happens if you don't wear a mask you will be horrified. The other video I have is on aseptic technique, which is extremely important to learn. Now, the video that I shared is before going into surgery. Most of it is putting on gloves, how to put them on properly, how to not infect yourself. However, you have to be careful if you're using these, okay? So like, for example, when you go out and you're wearing gloves, let's say you're grocery shopping, the moment you go to touch something of your own, you need to take that glove off. So it's important to know one, when to change your gloves, two, when you're touching things that could be possibly infected, and three, when you have touched something that you could have infected. So you have to really be conscious of what you're touching when you're wearing gloves. Another link I put on there is from the CDC, and they advise the use of simple cloth face coverings to slow the spread of the virus and help people who may have the virus and do not know it from transmitting it to others. Now that's for both of our safeties, okay? So for example, I'm going out in public to protect you because I don't know if I have the virus. In addition, you're protecting yourself because you don't know if someone else has the virus. This is the importance of the mask. I mean, it's very simple, people. Come on. I go out in public, I see tons of people not doing any of these things, and that's harmful to yourself and also harmful to others. So in the very least, if you don't care about yourself, you need to care about someone else. Imagine this being your parents, your grandparents, your spouse, your children, your family. Would you want them ill, suffering, admitted into the hospital, going through these mental, emotional, physical breakdowns and possibly dying? No, you wouldn't. So stop. Now the CDC link, take a look at that because it tells you about making your own masks, the proper use of masks. Those items can be made from household items, common materials. You can buy them. It doesn't really matter. It's an extra protective layer. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is mental health. The risk for mental illness associated with anxiety and grief over outbreaks is not emphasized enough. However, it affects far more people than the illness itself. Dr. Jala, MPH, 
and his colleagues assessed the connection between closeness to the virus outbreak and the prevalence of mental health symptoms. And their findings, which were published in the March 2018 issue of BMJ Global Health, showed the perception that virus infection was a threat and was significantly associated with higher risk for anxiety and depression and PTSD. So please check out that article as well. If you notice that you're not doing well mentally and emotionally, Wherever you are, I know there are helplines available in your state, in your nation, in your county. Do not feel ashamed. This affects all of us. When this is over, things like anxiety and depression and acute stress disorder and agoraphobia and PTSD, they're going to be quite common. So if you notice these symptoms rising in yourself, please do go get help. It's so important to nip that stuff in the bud. At the early stage of understanding this new coronavirus, it's unclear where COVID-19 falls on the immunity spectrum. Although most people with SARS-CoV-2 seemed to produce antibodies, they simply don't know yet what it takes to be effectively protected from the infection. Dr. Bowdish, a professor of pathology and molecular medicine, a Canada Research Chair in Aging and Immunity at McMaster University in Ontario, studied this. And researchers are scrambling to answer two questions. How long do SARS-CoV-2 antibodies stick around and do they protect against reinfection? That is a question we still do not have an answer to. And that is why it's important to take all and any precautions, regardless of what you believe in religiously and politically. I was shocked I was able to kick this virus. And I don't want to be reinfected. And the way I got infected was by someone who wasn't taking any precautions. I went out of the house twice during all of this self-isolating. And it was... Someone out there who coughed, who didn't wash their hands. That's how I got sick. So please wear your mask, wash your hands, and take precautions. So you avoid getting someone like me ill. Now I happen to make it through, but not everyone is so lucky. And if you do not care about yourself, in the very least care about others. This is not a time to be pointing fingers, judging others. The point is, it is here and we must deal with it. So please stay safe, stay healthy. Please stop pointing fingers. And the moment you think you may have this, call your doctor. And as always, peace.